lament. This is from Psalm 121. And in Hebrew, Psalms is Tehillim. If I raise my eyes to the hills, from where will my help come? My help comes from Adonai, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot to slip. Your guardian is not asleep. No, the guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Adonai is your guardian at your right hand. Adonai provides you with shame. The sun can't strike you during the day or even the moon at night. Adonai will guard you against all harm. He will guard your life. Adonai will guard you coming and your going from now and forever. And so we're going through a very, very trying time throughout this world dealing with this pandemic. But just to know this, no matter what's happening, who is sitting on the throne in your lives, we need to recognize that and know that we're to walk in agonized provision and that he will lead us in all the ways that we're to walk therein. And let's say even if he's, he takes us home, as some people have been gathered into his presence, this is all of his will and his plan. And we can rejoice for those who have gone before us, but those who remain, we can also rejoice, knowing that God will meet our needs according his riches. There are in glory that are being dispersed every moment if we'll simply walk in his provision and walk in his ways. And so that is a word of encouragement. And that psalm ends that he will be there. He will guard our coming and our going from now on and forever. That means through all eternity, God is our provision. And he will meet all our needs that we have to be met for his glory and honor. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so now if you'd like to, Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, the Acts of Yeshua's emissary, Shalakim, the call-out ones, the emissaries. This is part number two. Bless the Lord. Let us begin in Acts chapter 17, verse 1. After passing through Philippos and Apollonia, Shaul and Sila came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue. I've invited everyone to start using your Bible maps. There are various Bible maps that are really wonderful. And there is uh, books that have been written that, that are just on Bible maps. They give you a lot of detail, historical and cultural context of what was going on and how they were traveling, what they were wearing, what was, what was available to them at that time, whether it was through walking, of, uh, riding into a chariot, riding in a wagon, or was it going by, 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 by boat or by a large ship? That was the modes of travel of that day. And it took them a long time to travel from one place to another. I remember studying about American history, and they said that for, for people who were, who were venturing from the east, they would leave New York City and they go from state to state to state. If they were, and they were on their way to California or Oregon or, or Washington or New Mexico or Arizona, as they were making these travel, if they were able to make 10 miles a day, 
that was beyond anything. It was just really amazing because you know what? The railroad system going further west was not, was not in place at that time. That came much, much later. And so we have today the speed of travel. And just think about this right now. Those of us of the, of the congregation of the Seed of Abraham, we're now meeting right now via Zoom. And how much quicker can we do that? You can go ahead and pick up your phone and you can contact someone from the other side of the world. Today, we had Paul Gunderson, a missionary that we support that lives in the Philippines. All right. We were able to see him. We were able to communicate with him face to face via Zoom. Well, I tell you what, this I know we take it as, as just, you know, no big deal. This is common. But this is truly a miracle, a miracle that God has established for congregations and people, believers from around the world, to communicate, to see one another face to face. It's not as good as, as giving one another hugs, you know, and shaking one another's hands. But you know what? What a blessed miracle. And you know, at this time, and as, as what, what was shared during the Torah reading earlier today, uh, about people grumbling and about doing things of that nature, we have much to be grateful for and thankful for. Because you see, when Rav Shaul was out traveling with Silas, they would be facing robbers. They would be facing all different types of things. There could have been wild animals that would cross their path. All right? And so we are so blessed. And let us go forward now back to the scripture. So, according to his usual practice, Rav Shaul and Sila went to the synagogue. And so they went in. And on three Sabbaths, he gave them drashas from the Tanakh. Now, today we're going to dig a little bit deeper, all right? And so, of being an observant Jew, which Rav Shaul was, okay, he continued to be an observant Jew. He did not all of a sudden start attending a Christian church. Why? They did not exist. So the only place that he could worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a facility was either a temple or now the temple of the God Most High. That's back in Jerusalem. So where is he to go and celebrate the presence of the Lord with other people gathered in a building? but a synagogue. So this was his usual practice to attend where? A synagogue. All right? And this was not an, an occasional event that he only did it when it all, I feel like going, well, should, Silas, should we, should we go over to the synagogue today or should we just hang out here? No, this is what he was desired to do. Why? Because it gave him an opportunity to worship, to hear the Torah reading, to participate in the service and singing praises to God with others, which is truly a blessing, and also gave him an opportunity to speak, to be called upon, possibly, because he was someone new uh, in, into that village, into that synagogue, and many times they, they would see someone come in, and they would then invite them to come forward and to give the Torah reading. 
And so that's what, what Rob Shaw would do. He'd go and he'd be invited. He'd, he'd share the Torah reading. And then after he's done with the reading, he would then expound upon it and saying, well, this is, let me give you some insights. What God has revealed to me through living out the Tanakh, the mitzvot of God. And so it was just natural for him to do this. Okay, the word drash is something that, that uh, many believers don't even understand what it, that even means, all right? So let's go into a little detail here. And so he gave them a drashat, okay? That literally means that he lectured to them, all right? A drash or drashah is literally a searching. That's what the word means. Searching for what? The truth. What is, what is God trying to say to us today? Okay, so going forward, the word denotes a sermon or an exegesis, all right? That is dividing up and seeing what the meaning of each little word means and how to apply it to our lives. Then it went on to an exposition or a homiletical interpretation of the text. And for some people who are hearing this for the very first time, it's like, oh, my head's exploding. Rabbi, you're giving me too much. But this is what happens when you go to Bible college, all right? And you go to study. You look for the meaning of the word, and you study it. And you think of this from this perspective. What culture is this going to? What's happening currently with the people at that time and that moment, okay? And so you, in that mind frame, then you understand what the author who's being filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and does not speak of his own accord, but literally speaks the word of God, the word of hope to people. All right? So let's go now further, okay, with this. The word, the word now, Midrash, okay, which was a time of study, where after Rav Shaul read the scripture, the Tanakh, okay, and then after the service was complete, they, they would not leave the synagogue but they would gather around the person that gave the Torah a reading, and then they would have a Beit Midrash, a time to say, well, this is what I think you, I heard you say, but was this truly what you meant? And so then the person that gave the Torah reading was then able to expound upon it in greater detail. And you know what? This was an unlimited amount of time. You know what the whole focal point was there? It wasn't the, the football game going, which is either American football or, or soccer that was going on, on on Shabbat, but the whole focus was the Word of God because these people were living by God's revelation to his people, how to live, how to react with neighbors, both those of the faith, of the Jewish faith, and those on the outside. How, how do you relate to, to people in your community? at the marketplace. All these things were being dealt with. So let us go forward. The word midrash is related to a normal form of drash. And in the Mizratic period, which lasted from 100 before the common era until 500 common era. So we're looking at a vast amount of time here that they would spend time searching the scriptures and having literally debates, all right? A beat midrash, because one's opinion on Torah could at times get very, very heated, okay? Well, Rabbi so-and-so said this, but Rabbi so-and-so said that. 
And you see, then there would be, then, then after a while, people would stop or start listening to one another and start examining the scripture. And this is a beautiful thing. Because what is happening here is that you're learning, you're, you're growing, you're testing. And the, and the word and the opinion and the teaching and the preaching is what? It's being, trusted, it's being tested here. And you may be saying, well, Rabbi, why are you going into all these details? Because we as believers today should be reading the scripture on our own and allowing the spirit of living God to lead us into all truth. Because there are a lot of voices, there's a lot of prophecy, there's a lot of junk going out there, but does it literally align with God's message that's written and sealed in the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah? Are we living by that or by, by some brand new fad or some brand new teaching? Does it even align with anything what the scripture says? And you see, this was what, what Rav Shaul was facing, because you know what? He's bringing in a brand new teaching. What is the new teaching? Messiah has come. And you know the first thing that came into the people's minds? Well, then we're about to be delivered. Where is he? But Rav Shaul would say, but, but he has laid down his life and he died. And they're saying, wait a minute. That's against our tradition. He's supposed to deliver us from all our oppressors, and set up the kingdom of David, because he's a descendant of the kingdom of David. And so all these things, Rav Shaul is having to deal with, because you know what? The journey that he was on, going from Jerusalem early, before he became a believer, and a truster in Messiah, it was a time of his searching, and, and, and having God's truth being revealed to his heart and mind. This did not change overnight. And so now he's now with other Jewish men. And he's saying, and he's feeling in his heart, you know what? Where you are right now with this brand new teaching, so was I. To the point that I persecuted those who were followers of the way. See, the scripture doesn't give us all the details of Paul sharing his heart and say. And I'm saying to him, you know what? It took me years once I received this revelation from Adonai to fully walk therein. Think about Moses when he was at the burning bush and God is revealing all these things he's asking him to do. It just, it's blowing his mind. But as he walked and trusts the Lord, after receiving revelation upon revelation of the word of God, that he was then able to trust and go forward. So let us go forward here with this drash and midrash. First, it was an introduction. And what is the introduction on? Current events? World history? No, it's consisting of a biblical verse. So he's saying now, like, like you fire an arrow at a target, okay? Here now is a verse we're going to focus on, okay? And so those who were there in the synagogue, probably walked up to the Torah scrolls there and started opening up the Torah scrolls and started uh, searching them and saying this, what he just said, we're in the Tanakh, can we find it? Okay. So the introduction was a consisting of a biblical verse, now with what illustrations and also with parables. 
leading up to a particular text. See, one text upon another upon another. Just like when you build a foundation for a home. Today, we use cement, right? But at that time, they would take stones and they would uh, match them up. And if they didn't fit properly, they would take a hammer and a chisel and they would form that stone and sharp, beat off those, those jagged edges so that these stones could fitly join together. See, that's what scripture is. One verse lining upon the other. Okay? And if these scripture verses are not put, properly put together, what happens? They collapse and they fall apart. And so what Rashaul was telling them was brand new revelation of who Messiah was, but what was the foundation stones that he was using? The Tanakh. He couldn't use current events. He couldn't use anything else, but he had to use the scripture, which was the Tanakh. Let's go forward here. The and then finally ending with a conclusion, which consisted of what? Exhortations? Calling them, now you've heard the word of God, you've meditated upon it, now you are to do what? Put it into action. Live it out. And the words of comfort, ending with what? A cottage prayer. Just as we did today. We had a cottage prayer. Okay? So, Shaul frequently used Talmudic and Midrashic thought patterns and you want to see one of them? Let us turn now to Romans chapter 6. And let's read Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Here's a pattern of way that, that Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, is demonstrating this process. So we're, we're in Romans chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. For Moshe writes about righteousness grounded in the Torah. In, that, in the Torah, that the person who does these things will attain life through them. What kind of life is that? Daily life? Yes. But more than that, eternal life. Moreover, the righteousness grounded in trusting says, trusting or placing your faith in what? The Torah, which is God's revelation, to his people, says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Messiah down. Or who will descend to Sheol? That is to bring Messiah up from the dead. What then does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And part of that scripture that he's quoting there is Deuteronomy. So I really believe this. That as, as he was sharing this word, okay, and speaking about the Messiah, uh, one of the uh, deacons, the Shamashim, or the, the local rabbi, went over and grabbed the book of Deuteronomy and started reading out in Deuteronomy to himself, or maybe by memory, that he knew what the book of Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14 said, going on. That is the word about trust or faith, which we proclaim namely, that if you acknowledge publicly with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord, and you trust in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? You will be delivered. See, it's through this trusting. 
And notice this, what was hidden here in the Tanakh was the mention of, of Messiah being up in heaven and then coming what? Down to Sheol, all right? And then what is what? To bring Messiah up from the dead. So there hidden in the Tanakh is the revelation of Messiah coming from heaven, all right? Uh, descending to Sheol, and then later being raised from the dead. So let us go forward here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if we acknowledge publicly with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord, and, and trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be delivered. Notice it's not saying trust in your mind. It says trust in your heart. And what did the scripture tell us in the Tanakh reading today? That we are to do what? We are to circumcise our hearts. We are to do that. And it also went on to say, we are to circumcise our necks because we are stiff-necked stiff people. Let's go forward. For with the heart, one goes on trusting and thus continues towards righteousness, while with the mouth, one keeps making public acknowledgement and thus continues towards deliverance. See, this is a process. Our deliverance from Adonai is a process. For the passage quoted says that everyone who rests his trust on him, who's the him? But Messiah. We cannot fulfill the Tanakh. We cannot fulfill the mitzvot of the Tanakh. Only by trusting in him who's fulfilled all things. It's his righteousness. See, here's a transition. Let's go forward. Everyone who rests his trust on him will not be humiliated. That means that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Adonai is the same forever, rich toward everyone who calls on him. Since everyone who calls on the name of Adonai will be what? Will be delivered. See, that is a, a process where you have seen here illustrated of using quotes from the Tanakh and the brand new revelation of who Yeshua is. He came as Messiah. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead. And we are to believe in our heart, not in our minds, that he is the one. And it's in his righteousness we go forward. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now let's go now back to Acts 17.3. And I'll start with verse 2. According to his usual practice, Shaul went into, in, on, in the synagogue on three Sabbaths, and he gave them drashes from the Tanakh. See now, this is not one time, but up to three times. He takes the Tanakh, and he begins to prove to them that Yeshua is the promised Messiah. All right? that he died and he rose from the dead. Let's go forward here. Verse 17.3. Explaining and proving that the Messiah had to what? Had to suffer and raise again from the dead. That is this, that Yeshua, whom I'm proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. Now, this was against common belief. Because when the Messiah came, he was to deliver us from our oppressors. Then to go forward and sit upon his great, 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 etc., grandfather's throne, and he was going to restore 
Israel's dominance that they had lost. So let's now dig a little bit deeper. 17.3, explaining and quoting passages to prove literally. This was simply doing this, opening up and setting before them, saying, will you now consider this? This is what the Tanakh says. So now we're going to share a little bit about when people take scripture out of context, all right? Now one hears opposition to proof texting, all right? Because you know what? You can lead people astray by doing so. You can quote things out of context and say something is a revelation from the Lord when it really is not. And here's a Bible verse you kind of just pull out and set before them and say, well, he quoted this one Bible verse. So this revelation that he now is now proposing before us for the next hour and he doesn't give any other proof text, scripture verses to it, well, we got to believe it because, you know, he started out right. No, that person has to continue to lay, as I said earlier, those stones, one next to another. Otherwise, that teaching will fall apart and it will not stand. So let's go forward here. Proof texting, a term that means to explain and quoting scripture passages in order to prove something, just like Shaul did, the Apostle Paul. The main argument against proof texting is that it can be misused, all right? Passages can be quoted out of context or invested with meaning the author never intended it to be, all right? These are, are indeed abuses. Nevertheless, God's firm foundation stands. How do we know this? 2 Timothy 2.19 says this to us. Nevertheless, God's firm foundation stands. So going forward, blessed be the name of the Lord. When passages are quoted with regard to context, with terms properly translated and explained, and with the account taken from what? I shared with this a little bit e earlier. In the culture, okay? And the background of the author and his intended readers, okay? The method then is perfectly proper. So as when you open up a book of the Bible, you have to ask these questions. Who's speaking? And who are they speaking to? And what is the reason for that communication of speaking to? What time are they speaking? What is happening during that historical event in the culture of the people? See, because right now, a lot of us don't realize this, but Rav Shaul and Silas are speaking to another culture that's outside the synagogue. This is a Greek culture. And the latter part of Acts chapter 17, we'll go in a little bit deeper on this. Because you see what's happening here is that the good news that was given to the Jewish people, they have the Messiah, was not given to Rome or Babylon or any other nation, any other culture, but it was given to the Jewish people. It now has to be shared and proclaimed 
And what is what are the, what is Rav Shaul is running into? Cultural clashes. If you notice, as as the people were being riled up, they were saying, "Well, we're Roman citizens, or now we're part of this Greek culture." All right. And so, with by 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 giving these false statements. Then the crowds were able to be worked up, and then the body of Messiah was be, being able to be persecuted. And so we have to take all these things as we understand the times and the cultures and what's happening here. And what is happening here is that the Jewish culture, which was established by Adonai himself, was now being merged with the Greek and the Roman culture and cultures from all these other nations of the world. And how are they to be fitly grafted into one another? But it was by the leading of the spirit of the living God. And so we have to understand this, even today. Because how many missionary groups have gone out and said, well, we'll just simply proclaim the good news. They haven't studied the language or the culture or the history of the people that they're trying to reach. And what has happened? Time and time again, they've failed. Because you know what? Even in the midst of all culture, since we came from the same mom and dad, Adam and Eve, God has laid a template for every uh, missionary group to follow to reach that particular culture. Of people. So let us go forward here. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So this system, okay, the drash and midrash, was used by rabbis throughout Jewish history and even till today. And it is to suppose that Shaul's methods of using scripture were within this tradition, all right? So going forward here, think of Stephen when he was brought out to be stoned, who he proclaimed the good news from the Tanakh. That's just a sidelight for us to focus on. So going forward here, this is a very, very important fact that I wish that all believers would know and memorize. Listen to this. The fact that the Tanakh is cited some 695 times in the Brit Hadashah, if we would take all those quotations away, what foundation would the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, stand upon? It would have no foundation to stand upon. And it shows that its writers were convinced that although God had done something now very unique and radically new in Yeshua, the meaning of what he had done could be adequately expressed only in relation to and the understanding of the Tanakh. How many Christians today have less understanding and revelation of God's word when they don't even read the Tanakh? Maybe they've read the book of Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and then they stop there. And for the rest of their lives, they spend time in the Gospels and the writings and the letters 
and maybe they've read the book of Revelation, but there's no foundational understanding because they haven't read Ezekiel and Daniel and the prophets. So let us go forward here. For some, the purpose was sufficient to regularly and generally to study the scriptures in the Tanakh. But frequently, major events in the life of Yeshua were related to individual texts. In conclusion, what is seen in the New Testament are individual verses used with restraint to express the writer's underlining confidence that Yeshua, the Messiah, is coming to be the central figure fulfilling God's promises for Israel and the world. And I tell you this, since the body of Messiah has not had Yeshua as its center, what has been taking place? Drifting. Men and women's ministries have taken the place of Yeshua being the high priest and the intercessor before God the Father. And what has happened now? There are many prophets and many teachers out there that are leading people astray by their revelation that was not and has not been built on the foundation of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. And they're just grasping at, at straws right now. Think of this. Is, was there a prophet of God that proclaimed that COVID-19 was going to infect the world as it does right now? No. So what is God saying to his people right now? He's allowing us to go back to the scripture and put God the Father back on the throne of our lives and Yeshua on the throne of our lives and for us to be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. What does the body of Messiah need right now? To get back into the word of God, to repent before the Lord and say, Lord, we have forsaken you. We've gone our own way. We've taken, we've ran ahead of you. But we need to get back to his word. Spend time in repentance. And I really believe the call that's going out right now uh, through the Messianic community, all believers around the world, is for the body of Messiah to repent of its sins, of getting into all this garbage, and get back to the Lord, read the scripture, spend times allowing the Spirit of the living God to speak to our hearts, to reveal those hidden things in our lives. And we know what they are. To repent and allow the Spirit of the living God to deliver us. Because if the body of Messiah is not delivered from its sins, how can we go forth and proclaim the good news to a dying world that's eternally lost? If the body of Messiah is not walking in unity with God the Father, God the Son, Yeshua, and the Ruach HaKodesh, God has given us for such a time as this. Are we listening to his voice? Or are we listening to another? Are we going to continue to play games? I think he's got our whole attention right now as never before. Are you spending daily time in the word of God? Are you spending time 
in his presence praying one-on-one and are you listening see if Rav Shaul and Sila stepped out of God's will their lives could be taken away instantaneously are you walking in God's provision which is his protection what are you doing see this journey that we're now studying on they were they were sent out into the land of the wolves and there were sheep out there god's appointed people for them to go and proclaim the good news to they had to lay down their lives are we willing to do the same blessed be the name of the lord Digging a little bit deeper in Acts 17.3. The Messiah had to suffer and to raise again from the dead. Shaul now had to show this from where? From the Tanakh. So where do we find this in the Tanakh? Isaiah chapter 52. And think about this. As Rav Shaul was explaining in greater detail. In the Tanakh where it spoke of, of, of these things that most likely the rabbi walked up, took the scroll of Isaiah, and turned to it. And maybe Rav Shaul asked him to go ahead and read out the words before the congregation. Probably that rabbi had Isaiah 52 memorized. So let's now focus on Isaiah 52, verse 13. See how my servant will succeed. He will be raised up and exalted, highly honored, just as many were appalled at him, because he was so disfigured that he didn't even seem human, and simply no longer looked like a man. So now he will startle many nations. Because of him, kings will be speechless, for they will see what they had not been told. They will ponder things that they've never heard. On to chapter uh, 53. Who believes our report? To whom is the arm of Adonai revealed? For before him, he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He was not well formed or especially handsome. We saw him, but his appearance did not attract us. People despised and avoided him. A man of pains, well acquainted with illnesses, like someone from whom people turn their faces. He was despised. We did not value him. In fact, it was our diseases he bore, our pains from which he suffered. Yet we regarded him as punished, stricken and afflicted by God. But, but he was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins. The discipline that makes us whole fell upon him, and by his bruises we are healed. We are all like sheep went astray. And think about this. Now the rabbi is reading these words out. You know what's taking place? The veil is now beginning to be removed from his eyes and the eyes of those who are assembled in that synagogue. They are now seeing with spiritual eyes that they've never saw before. The revelation of who Messiah is as a person is being revealed to them. As never before. The people despised and avoided him, a man of pains, well acquainted with illnesses, like some 
like someone from whom people turn their faces. He was despised and we did not value. In fact, it was our diseases he bore, our pains which he suffered. Yet we regarded him as punished, stricken and afflicted by God. But he was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins, and the disciplining what makes us whole fell upon him, and by his bruises we are healed. We all, like sh sheep, went astray. We turned each one to his what? His own way. And yet Adonai laid upon the guilt of us all. Though mistreated, he was submissive. He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before cheers, he did not open his mouth. After forcible arrest and sentencing, he was taken away, and none of his generation protested his being cut off from the land of the living for the crimes of my people who deserve the punishment themselves. He was given a grave among the wicked. In his death, he was with a rich man, although he had done no violence and had said nothing deceptive. Yet it pleased Adonai to crush him with illness to see if he would present himself as a guilt offering. If he does, he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and at his hand Adonai's desire will be accomplished. After this ordeal, he will see satisfaction by his knowing pain and what? Sacrifice. My righteous servant makes many righteous. The trusting as a scripture as we shared earlier, the trusting in whose righteousness? This servant, this righteous servant's righteousness. It is for their sins he suffers. Wait a minute. He has never committed sin? That's right. He's the Messiah. Therefore, I will assign him a share with whom? The great. And he will divide the spoil with the mighty. For having exposed himself to what? To death and being counted among the whom? The sinners. He identified with them, though he was not a sinner, while actually bearing the sin of many and interceding for the offenders. Think now, as they've heard that scripture and the revelation, the veil is being removed from their eyes. They're starting to see Messiah Yeshua as he is as God's revealed truth. The only way to God the Father. So going forward here, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's look at now at Psalm 16, 8 through 11. In the Hebrew, it's Tehillim. Psalm 16, 11. Now we're seeing how Rav Shaul is laying scripture upon scripture to give deeper meaning. Tehillim, Psalm 16, 8. I will always set Adonai before me. With him at my right hand, I can never be moved. So my heart is glad with my, my glory rejoices and my true rest in safety for you will not abandon did we not read that earlier about Sheol 
You will not let your faithful ones see what? The abyss. You will make me know the path of life. And in your presence is what? Unbounded joy. And in your right hand is what? Eternal delight. Or eternal life. There is eternal life in and through Messiah and Messiah alone. So Shaul now had to show this from the Tanakh. Because the Jewish people were expecting what? That the first important act of Messiah would be what? Political liberation. There's a brand, revel brand new revelations to them. That Messiah was going to come first to die and be raised from the dead. And then later come back at another time. And then bring political liberation. Because this is what Rav Shaul believed when Yeshua died, that he just simply died. And he did not die for the sins of the world. This took time. He went to uh, present-day Arabia after he left Damascus. And the Spirit of the living God, it took time of revelation upon revelation as he did what? As he searched the scriptures, the Tanakh, to see if this revelation of who Messiah was, he tested it. Now he's asking those in the synagogue, just as I have tested this revelation of who Messiah Yeshua is, I now ask you to do the same. For many of you, this will not happen overnight. This will be an ongoing journey. I understand. I was there. I was transformed by the renewing of my mind through what? The word of God. I was able to see God's salvation plan. And now I'm presenting it to you. Will you consider this? This Yeshua is the Messiah, Acts 17.3. He proclaims, the first task was to reorder Jewish expectations. The second here was to show that these expectations were what? They were fulfilled in Messiah Yeshua. Today's message is complete.